before we start the sermon, our sermon series this fall is focusing on the, um, on the meals that Jesus eats in the Gospel of Luke. And this is not an arbitrary thing just because I have food on the mind, but it is because food is actually one of the organizing principles of the Gospel of Luke. For Luke, he sees eating together as a powerful moment and a powerful expression of who God is and what uh, or who Jesus is and the kind of kingdom that Jesus is building and the kind of kingdom he wants us to be. And so we, so far we've been going through each time that Jesus eats with someone and what the, the message that that sends about him. And the first one we looked at was when Jesus eats with Levi, who's a tax collector, who's considered a sinful occupation. He was an outcast, and Jesus calls him to follow him, calls Levi to follow him, and Levi does. And the first thing Levi does to follow Jesus is to have a feast with all of his sinner friends. And Jesus comes and attends that feast, but the Pharisees show up and they have a problem with it. And their problem isn't the fact that Jesus is calling sinners to repentance. The fact that the, the problem they have with it is the fact that Jesus is willing to eat with them before they repent. The fact that Jesus seems to think that eating with him plays some role in transforming them. And so he's willing, as, as a doctor, to the, what he prescribes to them is spending time with Jesus. Then the next week, we looked at a reverse situation where Jesus goes to eat with a Pharisee, and a sinful woman joins that meal, and she and the Pharisee have very different agendas for why they are eating with Jesus. The Pharisee wants the prestige that comes with getting to host the popular preacher that's coming through town, and to, to score points, to, to, make sh to, show, to see and to show how much better he is than other people and to make those comparisons. But the woman comes there because Jesus has forgiven her, and she simply wants to connect with Jesus in a very intimate way and say thank you. She has no, no additional agenda other than just wanting to be with Jesus and to develop her relationship with him. And Jesus says she's the one who's got it right. Now, last week, uh, Tim from TRH came and preached about the feeding of the 5,000, which is in the course of the meals. It's the first time that Jesus is the host of the meal. And so we talked about how Jesus, when Jesus, as the host, Jesus is able to provide everything that we need for the mission that he's calling us to. Today, we are going into the fourth story, which is a very short one. But I will tell you, it is, as, off, as I find, the shorter the story, the more powerful it can be. And this one, if you're willing to stare it straight in the face, is a gut punch. So I want you to do a couple of things for me as we start the sermon. I want you to start making some fists with your toes, okay? Because you're going to need to be ready to yank them back when we get to stomping time, okay? And uh, I want you to start flexing your abs because we are all going to get a gut punch. And I say that I am first in line, all right? I say this because when I've practiced, when I wrote this sermon, my toes got flattened and my abs are sore. So this is, this is like a laser. It is small, but it is intense, and it will convict you. Uh, so this is the story that we're looking at. And it's in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. It's all, so you know my parents are here because they were at the dedication. This is also my mom's favorite story in the Bible. <laughs> talk about that. Uh, so here's the story. <laughs> As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary 
who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Okay, this is a very short uh, this is a very short story, like I said, but it's got a really hard punch. And this story is about Martha. And I, before we get into where Martha goes wrong, I want to focus on what Martha did right. Because Martha is an amazing person that we would do well to emulate in almost everything. Because notice how the story starts. The story starts with an amazing thing that she does. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Okay, so, this is, at this point in Luke's account, we know that Jesus is followed by at least 16 people. There are 12 disciples, and he's listed four women that follow him as well. There's probably more, but at least those 16 people are with Jesus all the time. Okay? So, Jesus comes into town, and Martha welcomes them into her home. Which means that she's not only finding a place for 16 people in her home, which probably was not very big, they didn't make huge houses back then, but she's also going to feed them. And this is the ancient Near East. She's not putting out a plate of cheese and crackers. She's not ordering out for pizza. She is making a meal that is meant to demonstrate genuine hospitality, not as an afterthought, not what she can throw together. She is doing a feast. And she doesn't have a refrigerator. She doesn't have much of a pantry because you can't store food very long. If they had meat in this meal, the first thing on her agenda would have been to kill the animal they were going to eat, right? Because keeping the animal alive was their refrigeration. So this is a huge deal that she is willingly taking on as Jesus and his crew come into town. Martha generously invited Jesus and his disciples into her home and to her table. And this is consistent with her character as we see her in the Gospel of John as someone who deeply, genuinely loves Jesus. Martha loves Jesus, and she is absolutely willing to express that love through her pocketbook, in all of the food that she's going to have to buy, and in all the work that she's going to have to do, all of this that she is taking on is because she loves Jesus. Martha is an amazing woman, and we would do well to be like her in everything except one way, which is what gets highlighted in this story. So where does Martha go wrong? It says she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Okay, so the way this story is structured, the way, it, the way it's actually phrased, it indicates that Jesus sat down in the home to do some teaching. And Mary sat down to listen as a disciple at his feet with the rest of the group. That this was the designated time for teaching. And that Martha was also there and was sitting there, except that Martha was distracted by all the things that she had to do. She had to put on a multi-course meal 
later on that day, a ton of work to do, and she couldn't focus because of all the... So she was sitting there listening to Jesus, and then she thought, oh yeah, okay, I gotta, I gotta have... I, I gotta make sure that I get this animal slaughtered, uh, and, and gotta have this amount of time to, to get it ready. And oh yeah, I think Peter is gluten-free, so I'm gonna have to have <laughs> stuff for him. And... Um, you know, he doesn't drink wine, and she's, and, and I'm, oh, I'm going to need a, I need a, I have a regular salad, but I also need a macaroni salad, and I need a fruit salad, and, you know, and she's thinking through all these things, like, okay, oh, I got I better write that down, oh, I got it, I better go do this, and she is, all these things are going on in her mind, and they are getting to the point where they are distracting her. Now, the Greek word is actually, um, they're weighing her down, they're oppressing her, they're, they're, pushing down on her so that she cannot focus on what Jesus is saying. And so she gets up, and she goes to do that thing that has to get done right now, or we won't have the meal that we're supposed to have. And then I got to run over here and do this thing, and I, and I got to do that, and I got to, okay, and I got and she is getting pulled in all these different directions while Jesus is teaching, okay? So she became distracted and then when Jesus describes her state later, he says she's uh, worried and upset about all the things she had to do. This is Martha's state of mind. There are all these things that have to get done in order to have the kind of meal that is appropriate for this gathering, the kind of meal that would reflect well on her household and would communicate well in their social language how she feels about Jesus and, and provide everything for everybody, right? Right? She's distracted by all of these things, and she is so distracted by all of these things that it, it overwhelms her to the point that she does something shocking, okay? Jesus is teaching. So I want you to imagine that we were having a potluck after church, and that someone came into the service and did this while I was preaching. That's about the level, except someone way more important than me is doing the speaking, Right? And, and they're traveling through, so this isn't this person you get to listen to every week necessarily for some of them, okay? She comes in in the middle of this and says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, if it's not, it should be pretty clear in the English phrasing, but it's very clear in the Greek that that question is rhetorical. She is assuming Jesus' answer. Obviously, Jesus cares because obviously Jesus has the same priorities as Martha, and the question is, why isn't Jesus enforcing those priorities? And then she tells Jesus, tell her to help me so that we can get all this done and I won't be so burdened with all these distractions. And my mom says, amen. <laughs> this, is, this is the one story where my mom thinks that, God, that Jesus got it wrong. Oh, another one over here? Yeah. Anybody sympathize with Martha? My mom says she he should have told Mary to go help so they get the work done and then they could go, both go listen to Jesus, Amen. right? Right? <laughs> Here's how Jesus answers. And notice, this answer is the end of the story. We find out nothing about what happens after what Jesus says. We don't know how this all gets resolved. We just know what Jesus says, okay? Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. There's a lot going on in this. First of all, I want you to notice the way he addresses her. He says, Martha, Martha. 
That tells me a couple of things. Number one, what I think we can see in that is that Jesus sees Martha. He cares about what she's going through, and he wants to address her issue, right? He could have just said, wow, that was crazy. Um, Mary, stay where you are. That was nuts. Just ignore her as, as Martha goes blurring through back. Because you know Martha's already on her way back to the kitchen, right? She doesn't have time. She assumes Jesus is going to tell her. So she's, she says it as she's coming through one way and back into the kitchen through the other door. That's how she says this, right? So Jesus hears what she says, and he wants to address her. But I think he says her name twice because he's also got to get her attention. Because notice, Martha did not want to have a conversation with Jesus. She wanted to give him instructions the same way she was giving instructions to the help in the kitchen. Okay, this person's chopping onions, this person's writing something else, and Jesus is sending Mary in to help, right? Like she's giving out instructions. So Jesus has to say, Martha, Martha, can you stop, listen, listen to me right now. And then Jesus speaks to her in a way that I, I didn't pick up until I read the commentaries and people who, who know the biblical languages and understand it better than me. They pointed out Jesus is speaking in a way that has a double meaning as he talks to her. Because he says, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Now, what things are he t- is he talking about? We assume, because we are, taking this, uh, we, are, uh, we are taking this as a broad moral teaching moment, first of all, we assume that he's talking existentially about all the things, the burdens in life, and we're going to get there. That's not where Mary's head is at. Mary is not thinking existentially about her life. She's thinking about dinner, right? She has got nothing but dinner on her mind. And what Jesus is saying could also be interpreted as, Martha, you are worried about many dishes. You are worried about many parts of the meal, many courses. You are worried about many things that you think are essential to this meal, but very few things are actually essential to this meal. In fact, only one thing is needed in order for this meal to be what it's meant to be. And when he says Martha, Mary has chosen what is better, he actually says Mary has chosen the better portion. Okay? She's talking about she's put the right thing on her plate. Jesus is saying, you think that you need many things to be able, there have to be all these things to be able to put on our plates. But you only need a few things for this meal. In fact, you only need one thing on your plate in this meal, and Martha, or Mary has chosen that thing. She has made the, but chosen the better thing to put on her plate. And this, I think, is important because when you hear him say Mary has chosen what is better, you think Mary has chosen what's better. Mary has chosen something better than what Martha has chosen. That's not what he's saying. Martha has chosen the better, the best dish, the best meat item to put on her plate. Martha has chosen all of them. See, Martha is, wants to love, she's doing all this for Jesus. She wants to listen to Jesus. She wants to love it. She wa- but she's chosen many things. Mary has chosen one thing, but she's chosen the best thing. So Jesus is not going to take that one thing from her because that is the most important thing to put on your plate at the meal with Jesus. 
And that's when Martha realizes what he's actually talking about because Mary doesn't have any food on her plate. What's her portion? Jesus. What Jesus is saying, rather than, hey, why don't you all go make the meal so that we can have every part of the meal and you'll both miss less of the lesson, he's saying, hey, it's fine if we have bread and water so long as you are all able to hear me, to connect with me, to spend time with me. This meal isn't about all the dishes you can make. You're trying to do too many things. So Jesus reminded Martha that the only thing, that only one thing was actually essential, knowing him. Martha is getting into a situation, <laughs> I have permission to say this, Martha um, is getting into a situation that Pastor Rachel gets into at Potlucks. We've talked about this on the podcast, so it's public knowledge, but uh, Pastor Rachel is not super keen on Potlucks because she gets stressed out about getting everything on her plate. She doesn't want to miss anything, everything, and it's hard to get everything on your plate. Now, I come from a big family of potluckers. We have a huge family reunion potluck every year, and so we have an art to potlucks, right? There is, there's an art to getting everything on your plate because you start with your non-stackable foods, you know, like your wet salads and whatnot. You put those on bottom because you don't want to get to the end and have macaroni salad there to put on top of something else, right? Like, you don't know what, so you put your bottom layer of wet salads, and then you got your stackables, like your dinner rolls and, and different things like that that you can put on top of things, right? And that's the order you want to do it so you can get the most. But the key thing is you have to prioritize well because the tragedy, in a potluck, many things are good, but few things are needed and really only one thing, the fried chicken, <laughs> right? And you do not want to get to the end and your plate is so full that you can't take the fried chicken because there is a rule, there is a law, like a scientific law about potlucks. No matter what your ratio of fried chicken to people, no more than three people, if any, will get seconds on the fried chicken. It just will not last. So if you're going to get fried chicken, you've got to get it the first time through, which is why it's a tragedy when they put the fried chicken at the end of the line. You want it at the start, right? But if it's at the end and you try too hard to get everything on your plate, you're not going to have room for the fried chicken. So this is the stress that Martha is under as she's trying to have everything on the table because that's what makes it successful. And Jesus says, no, you only need one thing for this meal to be what it's supposed to be. It's me. Let's eat bread and water. Just be with me. And that's the story. It's not very long, and you'll notice it's a pretty simple outline compared to normal. That's the whole story. But I think this is a really, really important story for us to hear, because now is when you need to be ready. I hope you've been doing your exercises. Are you ready? Because as we apply to today, recognize that today we are bombarded with opportunities and expectations to do everything. I want you to imagine that you went back in time 200 years and you talked to someone, or let's just say, you know, you go, you go back and you get to talk to one of the first people on the Oregon Trail that comes over here. You get to tell them about all the inventions that we have that save us time. We have machines that wash our clothes, that dry our clothes, that wash our dishes. I, there are rooms in my house where I don't even have to flip a light switch because I can activate them with my voice. 
Like, there are so many things. We are at an absurd level of convenience. And if you were talking to a person from 150 years ago, you know what I think their question would be? What do you do all day? Because they manage to do all of those things by hand and still have productive, full lives. Right? They're able to have jobs and careers and huge families and, and all this stuff. They have the time for it, even though they've got to do everything by hand or by horseback. And we've invented all these things so that we don't have to do those by hand. And what do we do with that extra time? We fill it with more stuff, with more busyness. We are busier than ever. You think if we invent teleporters, that all that time we save from driving we'll spend on just leisure? No, no, we're going to be spending more time at work. We're going to be finding ways to be more productive. We're going to get, try and do more things. I mean, I, I, my phone now allows me to do work anywhere, anytime, right? Isn't that a great thing? <laughs> I mean, if you're in an on-call job, that actually is a really great thing, you know, so that I can be reached when emergencies happen. And, you know, certainly glad that, like, we can do that with emergency personnel. But there are a lot of people who do that who are not, do not need to be in touch with their workplace 24-7. But we're constantly being pulled in all these directions. And here's the, here's the scariest part is we put that on our kids, because our kids have to do everything and to be everything. It's amazing. And I realized, I mean, when I became a youth pastor, I was 26. There wasn't that much of a gap. But the world had changed for teenagers because of how many things they could do and were doing. It's amazing the number of things that kids can get involved in these days. And we have put our busyness into our kids because our kids now have to be getting good grades, they have to be participating in a sport every season, they have to be doing all the extracurriculars and every possible thing they can to get them a scholarship, and all, we have to be doing everything, and we're getting pulled in every direction, we're trying to put everything on our plate. And here's the dangerous part about that. If you try to be and do everything, Jesus will get lost in the shuffle. It is a fact. It is an inevitable fact that if you're trying to do everything, Jesus will get lost in the shuffle. Because what inevitably ends up happening is we give Jesus the gaps. We, and we take the time for those things out of our time with Jesus. Ouch. Ouch. Right? We give Jesus the time that is left over. This is something that I learned in youth group. So I, so I was a youth pastor in Wallow County where they have a four-day school week. Um, they get a three-day weekend because they can't get anywhere for sports in enough time. Like They have to drive so long that they're going to miss a day of school for sporting events anyway. Right? So four-day week, three-day weekend. And how often would a kid tell me on Sunday morning, I can't come to youth group because I have homework? Because homework is the trump card, right? Homework is more important, and homework is most important, and so if I have homework, then I... Now, my problem with that is not necessarily that they should be skipping homework to go to youth group, but eventually I started to push back a little gently to say, it's Sunday, you've had a full weekend already, so why can't you come to youth group? Is it because you have homework, or is it because you didn't do your homework on Friday or Saturday? Is it because you're choosing to take the homework time out of youth group time rather than when you can play games and do other things. 
Now, I, I tried to be gentle with that and to teach, but, but it gets, uh, you see that enough and you start to see, and here's the thing, it's not just the kids, because the parents are the ones teaching them that and setting those priorities for them. Because that's the way we set our own priorities. As believers, we will take on so much and so much, and we think, well, I can fit Jesus in afterward. And our prayer time ends up being when we're falling asleep at night or when we're driving in the car, as opposed to having a time set aside to spend with Jesus. Right? And we tend to prioritize things... I don't want to make this sound like I'm, I'm like upset that people are missing church activities. That's not what, that's not, because I'm not even sure that's necessarily true in a given space. I'm not talking about church, I'm talking about Jesus. Now, participating in the congregation is one of the ways that we interact with Jesus and we spend time with him by spending time with his people. But so often, we give Jesus what's in the gaps and we get busy with all these other things. Jesus talks about this in the parable of the sower. It's one of the things that causes the seed of the gospel to die in the soil. He says, the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. If we try to do and to be everything, then Jesus will get lost in the shuffle. And here's why that's a problem. Because if Jesus is who he says he is, then knowing him is the only essential thing in your life. If Jesus is who he says he is, if he is who we confessed him to be earlier in this service, then knowing him is the only essential thing in your life. The only one. That's what Martha got wrong, is that if she was going to start making, if she, was gonna, if she was getting overwhelmed by all of those things, she needed to prioritize time with Jesus. And instead, she was committed to having everything. And she couldn't let go of all those things, even though one day, the only thing that was going to matter was did she actually spend time with Jesus. Nobody was going to ask her later in her life, how many courses did you have? Nobody was going to ask, how many different salads did you have? It was not going to matter what kind of meal she put on the table. It was going to matter whether she spent time with Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? See, this is the problem we get into, is we're trying to hold on to everything, and for the sake of everything, trying to hold on to everything in this life, we lose our souls. And there comes a time when your soul is the only thing you're going to have, or not. Or you're not going to have it. There's a... I'm going to skip through this because I want to go to an example. Do you know how to catch a monkey? You want to, you want to catch a pet monkey, all you need is a, a hollowed out, I forget the name of the fruit, but you'll see it in this video. Here's how you catch a monkey. I'm hoping this is working. Okay, so he's taking some fruit and he's putting it into this hollow shell and he's hanging it from this tree. Okay? Now the thing is, 
that shell is big enough for the monkey to get his hand in, but it's not big enough for him to get his hand and the fruit back out. So he's stuck because he's holding on to the fruit. What does the monkey have to do to get out of the trap? Let go of the fruit. What is he unwilling to do? Let go of the fruit. This monkey is not actually trapped. He just won't let go of the fruit. And his dedication to keeping the fruit is so extreme that they catch the monkey by walking up to him and putting a leash on him. Because even now, with three guys there to catch him, he still will not let go of the fruit. And the funny thing is, when I found this video, the, uh, the, or the, the cards, because it's a silent video, the cards say that what, what we learn from this is that even though monkeys look like humans, they don't act like humans. They're not as wise as humans. Like, really? Because we do that all the time. That is the, one of the most human things I've ever seen. How many of us are trapped in the gourd because we want everything and we're unwilling to live without everything? And we will stand there holding on to everything and look eternity in the face and not let go of all these other things. Right? Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Sometimes we don't talk, and I'll confess, I haven't talked as much as maybe I probably should about that day that's coming. But there is a day that is coming. There is a day that is coming when the only thing that will matter is whether you know Jesus. In the end, all that will matter is whether you got to know Jesus. It won't matter how popular you were. It won't matter how rich you were. It won't matter what kind of material life you gave your family. It won't matter what kind of scholarships you got in school. It won't matter what kind of trophies you have in your trophy case. It won't matter any of your accomplishments. What will matter is, do you know Jesus? And for the sake of baubles and trinkets, we are neglecting knowing Jesus. For the sake of things that don't matter, we are neglecting Jesus. I say we because I am in this right next to all of you. And I'm a pastor. My job is all about spending time with Jesus and helping people spend time with Jesus. And I find myself chasing baubles, chasing things that don't matter because I want everything. And Jesus ends up fitting in the gaps that I can give him when I can give them to him. I do a lot of my prayer time in the car, in the shower, or as I'm falling asleep. I care a lot more about spending time in my hobbies or my favorite TV shows than spending time with Jesus. And it's my job. I don't even get to use the excuse that I have to go out and make money doing something completely unrelated 40 hours a week. So I don't know how you all are going to do it. Except it is so easy for us to lose sight of this and to let all these other things crowd in. So I'm going to ask you point blank. 
What's going to happen on that day when you get asked that one question, when they don't ask, what was your income? They don't ask, what baubles do you have? What trinkets did you earn? What things have? They're going to ask, do you know Jesus? What's going to happen? Because one of two things is going to happen. On the one hand, you're not going to be able to say yes. You're going to have all these worthless things that are as good as ash as you try to step into the kingdom of heaven. But on the other hand, God may say something like this. In Revelation, Jesus says, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Here's the thing, is that following Jesus will cost you everything, and you are still getting the best bargain there has ever been. It is absolutely worth it. One of the things that hit me as I was preparing for this sermon was I got to go and be with Dorothy Blevin as she was in hospice. And I came in and I could hear her calling out from the next room. And as I went in to be with her and to pray with her, I realized what she was doing. She was calling out to Jesus in this joyful way. Over and over again, she, t- she said how much she loved Jesus. She was talking to him, and I was the secondary person in the room. And I got to have this joyous conversation with her as we talked about going to see Jesus. And as I prayed with her, and, and we, you know, we confessed faith together, and we, we had this amazing moment, and all she could think about was Jesus. I was barely there. And she went to see him the next day. And that was incredible. And that was someone who was focusing on the best portion. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up, and I'm going to ask you, what's on your plate? What is on your plate, and what is taking priority on your plate? When there's, when there's another dish coming toward you, and you've got to make room, what do you move? 